0: I take just a moment of personal privilege to thank you all for your prayers and your expressions of kindness and support uh, during these days when Nell has been in the hospital. And uh, we have been so overwhelmed by your graciousness, your kindness, and knowing that you are praying for us. Nell is still in the ICU unit, uh, cardiac ICU unit at Spring, Spring Hill Hospital. She is making progress. It is slow progress, but she is making progress. And for that, we are certainly grateful. And so I'm able to be here with you this morning. I plan to be with you much more often in the future, if all is well with her, if she continues to make progress. Uh, I'll not be preaching next Sunday, but I will be back in the preaching schedule after that and look forward to that. I'll be here some during the week, uh, meeting with staff members and being a part of ministry. Uh, But thank you so much for your understanding and for your support. We are indebted to you and just very, very grateful. Very, very grateful. So thank you. Um, Sheila mentioned in her prayer this morning the meeting in St. Louis. That is the meeting of a called session of the General Conference of the United Methodist Church uh, United Methodists from all over the world have gathered in St. Louis for a three day called conference. It started yesterday. it will finish tomorrow and the purpose of this called conference is to work on our understanding of our um, policy toward uh, matters of human sexuality. as you know, that is a, a, a an issue that is a part of our times, a part of our culture, and the United Methodist Church, like the society at large, is wrestling with this. Uh, there are differing opinions, as you might imagine. There are people from all over the world and different cultures, and so we are trying to work together to come to a common understanding, and please pray for those delegates. We've not said a lot about this at Dolphin Way simply because there's been nothing to report other than that there's going to be a meeting, and that meeting is now taking place. And whenever we know the results of that meeting, whenever we know the decisions that are reached, we will share those with you, and we'll have conversation about that and and how we will uh, appropriate those decisions going forward. I would say to you that Dauphin Way will be Dauphin Way, and we will be Methodist. United Methodists. And we will continue to be a church that welcomes all people. We will be as inclusive as we possibly can be because we believe that's who Christ is. And so that will be our posture going forward. But we'll have to see what the denomination decides, and then we'll we'll act accordingly. So you'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. Thank you for being patient and understanding. Uh, they're people of goodwill working toward a resolution, an agreement, and we pray for them today. So I have learned in the last six weeks that biology matters. Henry Ford said once that man cannot live by bread alone, but he must have the bread before he can have the rest. The same could be said of water, oxygen, potassium, magnesium, and a host of other chemical compounds that are necessary for physical life. Though I don't understand very much about why these things are necessary, or how they are necessary, I do have a new appreciation for the fact that they are necessary. As my dear wife, Nell, has put up one of the best and bravest fights of her life, I have come to a point of waiting for, depending upon, reports measuring all of those variables, that contribute to healing and health. I have stood in the place where the most encouraging words I could possibly hear were those of a physician saying to me, all of her numbers are headed in the right direction. And for me that was a sign, for Nell, that was a sign, that though the road to recovery may be long and it may be hard, we are on the road to recovery. And that was most encouraging, and I was most grateful. Biology matters. Physical life is a wondrous process, a symbiosis of miraculous proportions. Because it is so exquisite, because it is so wonderful, we should never take a moment of biological life for granted. We should be grateful for every moment of it. Inasmuch as life in this body is so precious, it is astounding that we Christians are bold to say that there is another life that matters just as much. We are people of the resurrection. In a couple of weeks we will begin a journey to the cross. We will enter into that darkness that leads finally to death. We will intentionally face our limits, our failures, our mortality. And we will do this because of what lies on the other side. You see, Easter is what makes Lent matter. In fact, Easter is what makes everything matter. We hear today St. Paul insisting upon the truth of resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul takes on those who say there is no resurrection. And Paul contends that if there is no resurrection, then life is futile, faith is meaningless, and we are of all people to be most pitied. Paul really makes a twofold argument for resurrection. On the one hand, it is the argument of Saul the Pharisee. Remember that in Paul's time, there are religious leaders called Pharisees, and these Pharisees believe in the resurrection. There's another group of religious leaders, Sadducees, and they don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees do believe in resurrection, and before Paul was a Christian apostle, he was Saul the Pharisee. And so he explains the resurrection in terms of a Pharisaic argument. He explains how resurrection is God's restoration of life beyond death. Humans are mortal. Death is the end of the mortal life. And when we die, Christ raises us from death and gives us bodies, new bodies, bodies that are as appropriate to the eternal spiritual realm as our physical bodies have been to the physical realm, the temporal realm. In effect, what Paul is saying is, beyond death, we will be who we are. Folks sometimes ask me, preacher, will we know each other in heaven? Well, of course we will know each other in heaven. We will be who we are. To say that we will be resurrected is to say that we will have identity. We will have a means of self-expression. We will be whole. The difference is that God will give us a body for the, that is fit for the eternal realm. That's the Pharisaic argument. So see, Pharisees are not all bad. But Paul's case for the resurrection rests primarily upon something else. It rests primarily upon the fact that Jesus has been raised from the dead. Having considered all of the implications of what life means if there is no resurrection, Paul concludes, but in fact, Christ has been raised. The first fruits of those who have died. This is finally Paul's confidence. And it is the confidence of Christians through the ages You see, the resurrection of Jesus is the clincher. Everything depends upon that reality. To say that Christ is risen, to say that we will rise with Christ and in Christ, is to say that there is life beyond death. Beyond the astonishing reality of biological existence, there is an even more wondrous existence. Now this is no small matter. It is the deepest mystery we will ever face. It is the most sublime assurance we can ever receive. To believe that God in Christ will give us life beyond death is the most extreme exercise of faith. It is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And because of the resurrection, we are able to face the worst Because it is the best. Because of resurrection, we can hear the terminal prognosis and not lose all joy and all hope. Because of the resurrection, we can stand by the graveside of a loved one and not be wild with grief. The promise of resurrection extends into the future of every one of us. It awaits us all who are in Christ. But resurrection is also a present reality. There is death and there is resurrection in this life before we get to the next life. We are buried with Christ in baptism so that as Christ is raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old is passed away. Everything is made new. If we trust Jesus with our final death and resurrection, we trust him with the death in this life of the old self, the fallen self, the sinful self, the false self. We trust him with the resurrection of the new self, the true self, the self that is in the image of God. Though we are subject to all the biological necessities of our physical existence, our life is more than the sum of our biology. There is a spiritual force at work in us, with us, through us. The Holy Spirit is busy reordering our lives after the image of Christ. Right now, in this life, we are being raised to a higher plane than simple biological existence. It is the realm of mature love. It is the existential reality of grace. It is God's kindness connecting us to God, to one another, and to the whole of creation. It is gentleness, peace, faithfulness, joy, patience, generosity, self-control being formed in our inner and in our outer being. It is becoming now what we will be in that eternity to which God will raise us. Jesus describes this new creation in all sorts of ways. And perhaps the most poignant, the most powerful way that he describes it is to say that we are to love our enemies. That we are to pray for those who persecute us. We are to forgive those who trespass against us. The most natural thing in the world... Is to hate our enemies, to strike out at those who wrong us. The desire for revenge seems to be baked into our biology. It is primal. When Jesus says that we will love our enemies, that we will pray for those who persecute us, He is calling for a huge reversal in the natural order of things. This is the death of the old self. This is the death of the old norm. It is resurrection to a new reality. And for Jesus, this seemingly impossible possibility is not just an ideal. Nor is it something we accomplish by our own will and effort. It is a very real and practical expression of grace. The gospel writers insist that this is at the heart of the gospel. In the original language, The sense is not so much that loving our enemies is something we should do. It is something we will do. It is something that will be a part of the old self dying and the new self coming to life. As we die to the old, as we are raised by Christ to the new, the true, we will love our enemies. The gospel writers are confident that this level of maturity will come in due course. It is a part of the package of the resurrected life. We will be loved into loving, we will be forgiven into forgiveness. And this, as much as being raised from physical death, is the miracle of resurrection. Well, you may be thinking to yourself, that all sounds good, preacher. But I'm a long ways from it. And most of us are. You are right. We have a long way to go. Recovery sometimes takes a long time. My dear wife's recovery is taking much longer than we thought. Much longer than we like. And there are days when the progress is so small that it's barely noticeable. And we know that it will be long. but the numbers are headed in the right direction. The recovery of the true self, the recovery of the new self, of that image of God in which we are created, to which we will be raised, that recovery is a long process. The question I would ask myself when I examine myself and my relationship to others. And I would invite you to ask yourself, are your numbers, are my numbers headed in the right direction? Are we at least on the road to recovery? And if we are, are we doing the things that will move us forward? Nell's recovery requires a lot of effort on her part and one of these days I'll speak to all that she's been through and the great courage and the great determination that she has demonstrated. But she has to collaborate, she has to cooperate. She has to go along with what all the good doctors and nurses tell her. And she has been willing to do it. Though it has often been very, very uncomfortable. And sometimes disheartening. So sisters and brothers, as we go along this way of sanctification... As we grow in grace, as we experience the resurrected life in this life, it is a long recovery. And it's not easy. No one ever said it would be. And for our part, we have to be willing to cooperate with the Lord, with the Holy Spirit. He was moving us along. Being in church is one of the best things we can do for our own healing. Reading scripture, praying, receiving the sacraments, serving others, all of these things move us toward greater kindness. In the Old Testament, the Lord said, you shall be holy because the Lord your God is holy. In Matthew's gospel, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you shall be perfect because your Father in heaven is perfect. And that word perfect could be translated mature. You shall be mature as your Father in heaven is mature. In Luke's gospel, in the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus says, you shall be merciful, you shall be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. seems to me there's a great development there. Holiness is maturity, and maturity is compassion. And we are like Jesus as we become compassionate. And so I pray that together we will walk the road of recovery, that we will press on in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And knowing that our numbers are going in the right direction, will bring us great joy, and we will be grateful. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.